This is the day that the Lord hath made. Can you finish that for me? Let me try it again. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Sometimes we become familiar with a psalm. I say that psalms like that are very good to give to people, good to quote on a Sunday morning, harder to process during the week. <laughs> there are sometimes if during a certain set of circumstances, if someone came up to me and said, this is the day that the Lord has made, let us rejoice, I would have a hard time processing that. And that's because while God has made this day, and we have every cause to rejoice, there are tensions in life. And I think between last Sunday and this Sunday, you had tensions in your life. Made it tough to rejoice always. We're in the book of Philippians. We're in a series called Joy in the Valley. We've realized that it's not hard to be joyful. It's not hard to rejoice. But what Paul challenges us to do is to do that always. In every circumstance, every situation, every group of people, that we will do that constantly. And that is humanly impossible. From last Sunday to this Sunday, you've had tensions in your life. And I hesitate to, to mention mine, but I'm, I'm speaking this morning, so I'll, I'll share some of that. But I, I hesitate to share my tensions because I realize they are so small compared to what some of you have been through. Mike had mentioned our pipes bursting <clears throat> in Wisconsin. Well, things started out with good news that we're going to be able to close on the house. And, uh, but the rough news was we've got to be out of there by, well, they gave us like 10 days. Like 10 days. And then I'm thinking, I wanted to move in May and um, get all our stuff in May. Do you realize how cold it is north of Green Bay, Wisconsin? And I just checked since you have the, you know, the app on your phone. It's supposed to be 20 below tomorrow <clears throat> when we're loading the truck. So, well, <clears throat> Diane plans a trip. I rent the truck. We're trying to figure out how we're going to get a place to store things. And, but we're also excited that we get that part resolved. Uh, it is going to be cold, but I'll have a lot of college students to help me. And then we find out that our pipes have burst and the basement's flooded and a lot of the things damaged. And uh, we're still commanded to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. And it's not an easy thing, but I, well, I, I hesitate even sharing my little story. But, you know, typical week for us is we have tension. And there are many circumstances that would tend to rob us of our joy. And Paul, as he writes this letter to the church in Philippi, is, is pretty confessional in the way that he writes. He's sharing the kinds of things that will suck the life out of you. And he mentions three of these. When we went from verse 12 to 26 in, in this chapter, verse 12, really down through verse 15, he talks about uh, circumstances. There are particular circumstances that, that happen that will take your joy. And then he talks about people, even more difficult than circumstances. And then finally, the uncertainty of the future. Paul was in chains. He was under house arrest. He had people on the outside trying to do him harm. And he faced the uncertainty, am I going to escape from prison or be out of prison or am I going to be convicted and put to death? And here's what he found. He found that the only way in the midst of these tensions and these trials 
to find joy is to focus your attention, do you remember what it is? On the sovereignty of God. We said it this way, all joy is rooted in the sovereignty of God. All joy is rooted in the sovereignty of God. And I th- it's, it's hard to live with that way of thinking. But think about this. If God is sovereign, which we believe that He is, the Bible teaches that and God has demonstrated that through all history. If God is sovereign means He is self-existent, He is holy, He is eternal, He is all-powerful, He is all-wise, He is everywhere at once, He is full of tender mercies and compassionate, God is amazing. And when I put my affection and my attention in what Paul described in Philippians 1 is my expectation. In other words, I put, I expect from God. I may not understand all that's going on in my life right now. I try to figure out the, the uh, pipes breaking. Lord, now I know you're sovereign, but how does that fit into your sovereignty? It's hard to do. But when I place my expectation in Him, He'll never fail. Any other place you put your expectation, you're going to get let down. And that's going to be the occasion for you to lose all your joy. You put it in people, they'll let you down. You put it in things, they'll let you down. If if you put it in a certain set of circumstances, you're going to be disappointed. And so anytime I get my eyes down to the horizontal level and put my expectation in somebody or something or some opportunity or some future, I'm setting myself up for disappointment. When I have a right view of God, I'll have a right view of everything else in life. That's where my attention needs to be. So that's why we say that that all joy is rooted in the sovereignty of God. Now, Paul tells us how he has seen this work out. You know how sometimes something will happen and you think, I know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. I know that's true. I'm just not feeling the love. <laughs> I'm not seeing it. I'm, I, I know that's true, but I don't see it. Well, Paul tells us how it's happening. He says, first of all, these chains have served to advance the gospel. These critics, the people, are preaching Christ. And my situation here of possibly facing death magnifies Christ. So he actually shows that evidence. But there are times when we can't see it. Paul could see it and he tells about it. So, you know, you like to nod your head and say, oh, okay, yeah, you know what? I see it now. You know, I see what God was doing. That's really great. But what do you do when you can't see it? And over a long period of time, you're not understanding. And this is what I shared last week, uh, something I had never seen in a a very, I'm going to say how many years, but all the years I've studied the Bible, and I've probably been in, in Philippians as much as any book in the Bible, I've never seen this. But when he says, this will turn out for my deliverance, is a verbatim quote from Job. And Paul, being a Pharisee, 
and a student of the Bible probably had the entire Old Testament memorized. I would not be surprised if he had the entire Old Testament memorized. And Paul quotes from Job. And the point is this, that Paul's faith, our faith rests upon the Word, on what God has said. This is truth, and truth is reality, reality is truth. Paul is resting on truth that anchors his life to get him through these present crises. It's the same way for us. For us to be able to have a strong faith when we're in difficult times, our lives need to be saturated with Scripture, with the Word. It's interesting that I have this little discovery of going back into Job, and I'm preparing last week's message on all studying of Job and how that fit in. The verse that follows, the very well-known verse, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Verse 16 of Job 13 says, this will turn out for my deliverance that Paul quotes. So Paul is anchoring his life back to the Scriptures that gives him faith to be able to work through these things. There there are times when you can see what God's doing. And you know what? Oh, I see how He did this and this, and I thought it was bad. And you know what? It really turned out for good. And you can see it that very same day or in a week. But what happens when you go for long periods of time and none of it makes sense? It is even more important. In the book of Job, Job goes through horrible suffering. And at least 25 times he asks God, why? Why? And I think that's human nature. That's, I asked that this last week. Pipes broke. Why? We're going to move in January. Why? <laughs> It's the way we are. It's not just the little kids that go, why? You know, we have a little grandson. He just is ready to turn two. And he's already asking why. Well, where did he learn that? Well, older brother and sister. But, but all through life, we're repeating that back to God. Why? And we're thinking God must have a good reason. And so he's going to give me a good reason, and I'm going to say, oh, okay, I see the sovereignty of God in all this. Did God ever answer Job's question? Why? He never did. He never did. He answered who? God answered his, Job's questioning with, here's who I am. And you know, when God tells us who He is, it's like the song we sang, Magnificent God, you stand in awe and you don't have a lot more questions when you understand who God is. I think one of the greatest challenges that we have to be a joyful people is to get that right view of God and be attracted to Him and to trust in Him. And the only way that you're going to see and get a right view of God is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the face of God. God has given us His Son that we might know Him. He has communicated that to us. And the more you know Him, the more you're going to love Him, and the more you're going to be full of joy that's constant every day in every situation. 
I was thinking what Charles Trumbull wrote. He said, God wants us to realize that His Word, His promise of remembering us, is more real and dependable than any evidence our senses may reveal. It is good when He sends the visible evidence, but we appreciate it even more when we have trusted Him without it. There's sometimes you're not going to have the visible evidence like Paul did. Paul saw the Gospels advancing. Christ is preached. He is magnified. He sees that. We understand. Praise the Lord. But what happens when you're in a situation where none of that's happening? It reminds me of Adoniram Judson. And Adoniram Judson was the first American missionary to the country of Burma. He and his wife Anne sailed to that country in 1812. And it was hostile toward any thought of God, godless country. He didn't know the language. He gets to Burma, and after seven years, not one person has come to Christ. After 14 years, Adoniram Judson looks at the graves of his wife and all of his children, and he has nothing to show for the ministry he he had. And he prayed, Lord, help me. Help me at least live long enough to translate the Bible and to have a church of 100 people. Well, God answered that request. And the gospel flourished in Burma. But you can understand how Adoniram Judson might be like Paul when he describes, I'm being torn between the two. Part of me wants to depart and be with Christ. And part of me wants to stay here. Now, up till this point, we've talked about three tensions, circumstances, people, and uncertain future. But now we're going to talk about a different kind of tension that you want to have. Paul said, here's the tension I feel now. I'd rather just go be with the Lord. But I know being here is needful for you. And I thought in smaller ways, how many times have I felt that way? Have you felt that way? Maybe this last week you thought, Lord, you know what? I don't want it to be painful, but I'd like to just go to heaven. I know that it's not, I'm not going to take my life, uh, because I know that's wrong, but I would just like to be done. I have had this probably last few years, drive by a cemetery. Have you ever done this where you just think, man... I'd like to just kind of go crawl in a hole over there. <clears throat> Maybe you're, not, you're not, not like me. But sometimes you become so tired, so weary, and the battle is long, and life is hard, and you think, I just want to be done with this. Now, Paul had this longing He wanted to be with Christ. I can't say that my longing is always I want to be with Christ. I just want to be out of the mess. But I want to be done. But a large part of me wants to stay. So the title of our message this morning is Torn Between the Two. And I like to read our text. It's Philippians 1. And we'll read down through... um, Well, 21, let's read 22, verse 22 through 26. If I am to go on living in the body, 
This will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul was being torn between two. We can understand a little bit of that feeling. Paul describes himself as living in this body. And the fact that you live in this body means there's a struggle because you have this old flesh, dying body, and you have a new nature. One is eternal, one is temporal. Living in this body, in a fallen, decaying world, where the prince of the power of the air is Satan, means that, as Paul would describe it in Romans 8, all of creation is groaning. (laughs) All of creation is groaning. And Paul is reckoning with his mortality. He's getting old. He's been beaten and stoned and whipped and put in prison and shipwrecked. His age is starting to show. He's a a soldier that's, that's grown weary. And he looks around and the world keeps getting worse and worse and worse. So there should be in us a longing to be with Christ, with a new body, in a perfect environment, where there's no sin, no sorrow, no sickness, no pain, no heartache, where everything is joy in His presence. For us, we ought to long for that. We ought to look forward to that. But I think we, we don't realize we are aliens. You are a resident alien. This isn't home for us. This isn't where we belong. This this body and this place and, and this activity, these are temporary assignments. It's like instead of Abraham, he Abraham, he he looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. And he longed for that. And oh yeah, it's great to be in a perfect place with a new body and all joy and happiness and no sin. But the greatest part will be to see Him. To be with Him for all eternity. I like to call it the the agony of humanity. We live in the agony of humanity. And I, I think this, the older you get, the more your body deteriorates. The more you see the sin around you. The more you grow in your love for Christ. When you read your Bible and study, the more you long you long for that day. And usually the checkpoint is, yeah, <clears throat> I'd like to depart now. Uh, first, I don't want it to be painful. <laughs> but I don't want to leave my wife. I don't want to leave my kids. There, there are other things you got to do. So we feel that tension. And this is a good tension. If I feel a responsibility to the ones I love and to, to the people, 
You may have a loved one who doesn't know Christ. You may have a husband or you may have a wife or you may have a, a father, a mother, some family or a dear friend who doesn't know Christ and, and you, you want to depart and be out of this and with Him, but, but you feel there's a necessity to be here. There's a reason. Paul was engaged in fruitful labor. I don't know if you uh, enjoy reading the book of Ecclesiastes. Sometimes in your Bible, you go through Ecclesiastes and you think, when I get done with Ecclesiastes, I think, what's the use? <laughs> because as uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, probably Solomon, is saying, he's saying, emptiness of emptiness. All is empty. All is worth nothing. It's all vapor. It's, 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 it's worth nothing. I think, well, good grief. What am I doing here? Thank you. And, uh, and so we, we struggle with, with thinking, is there meaning in the work that I do? And I'll struggle with that. And this is immediately what Paul will address. He says this in verse 22, this will mean fruitful labor for me. This will mean fruitful labor. Now, Paul is a worker, but he was a worker before he was a Christian. So people work. And is, is work good. Sure, work is good. God made us to work. But not all work has equal value. So he talks about this will mean fruitful labor for me. Not everything that you do will count. Not everything we invest in has value. It is possible to work hard, save a lot of money, build a lot of buildings and do a lot of stuff for a lot of people and it'd be worth zero. So how do you know that you're investing in what matters? The fruit, fruitful labor. And I really believe that Paul is making a reference to the teaching of Christ about fruit. And we find that in John 15. You don't need to turn there. But John 15, uh, the setting of John 15 is when Jesus is leaving the upper room uh, having been, Judas had just left. He's leaving there, being with his disciples at the Last Supper. And he is going down through the Kidron Valley and over to the Garden of Gethsemane where he, he prays and ultimately is arrested. Along the way, somewhere along the way, he stops and he tells a story. He draws a picture. And I love the teaching about Jesus. It's always pictures and illustrations and stories. And he probably has a branch in his hand with grapes on it. And he talks about fruit and fruit that will remain. And his challenge is, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I chose you to go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. So what is fruit? The fruit that he talks about. And typically when we say the fruit of something, the fruit of your hands, it's the evidence. It's the, it's the, the evidence that you worked. And in John 15, 5, he says, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Oh, yes, I can. I did this. and I No, what he's saying is you can do nothing that will remain. Without me, you can do nothing that will last. Wow. And for us as Christians, I think it's important for us to understand. Typically, we measure our value and our worth and our success in Christianity by how we look 
I call that image management and by what we do, performance. And that is how I measure myself, and that's how I like to measure you. And by the way, I like to measure other people. That's just, (laughs) that's in us all, isn't it? So I measure the success of my Christianity, and I measure the success of your Christianity by how you look and by what you do. Image management and performance. But what Jesus said that the real evidence of authentic Christianity is fruit. You say, well, we don't know what fruit really looks like. Oh, yes, we do. Because Paul tells us, the church of Galatians, he says, here's what it looks like. Love. Authentic Christianity looks like that. Love. Second, joy. Which really, I think, love is... Love is the whole joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are all manifestations of love. So here's what authentic, true, genuine Christianity looks like. It looks like love. Oh, yeah, but, but I did this and I did this and I did this and I don't do this and I don't do this and, and, I, and, I, and I look good, don't I? doesn't matter. Authentic Christianity is love. Now, how does, that, how does that get developed in your life? And I don't want to digress too much from our text, but I think this is, this is right in here. Because when Paul says a, a statement, he, he's thinking deeply. And I want to go deep enough to where we grasp this. How do I really bear fruit? And I think that the greatest picture that we have of bearing fruit is the one that Jesus shared in John 15. You have the vine and the branch and the fruit. And he says, when the branch abides in the vine, that's Christ, the life. When this branch, me, when I abide in him, I bear fruit. I don't go fabricate fruit. I don't go out and say, and this is, this is the way most Christians live. Okay, today, today, patience, love, Joy, peace, patience. And we never get past that one. (laughs) So today, folks, I'm going to be at peace. I'm going to be at peace. And so what it comes, it becomes a a matter of performance. I'm I'm going to do that. Self-control, you know what? I am going to quit smoking those cigarettes. I am going to quit watching TV so much. I'm, and so we get into this self-discipline and I'm going to be peaceful and I'm going to be patient and I'm not going to be. And so our, all of our focus is on what I do for God. Can I tell you something? God is not impressed by what you do for Him. I'm going to say it again. God is not, never has been impressed by what you do for Him or how you look. He's not impressed. God is impressed by what He does for you. And that's what He delights in. So, my focus is not on producing fruit. My focus is on abiding. How do you abide in Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because this is key. You abide in Him. He abides in you. You're in His Word. His Spirit is in you. You're reading, you're studying, you're praying, you're thinking, you're contemplating, you're coming to know God through Christ as you study on through His Word. And when He's teaching you, 
You're starting to apply it. It's getting activated. You're growing. You're working through these things. God confronts you on issues in your life and and you're coming to know Him. And when you come to know Him through His Word, you come to love Him and spend time with Him. And the evidence is now a person is joyful, full of peace. They have kindness. This is what God is doing. And I hope that you understand that to grow in Christ is to abide in Him and His Word, to know Him and to love Him, and that He will produce that fruit. Well, the next thing is in verse really 22 and 23 where He makes mention of this. So what do I choose? <clears throat> what, do I, what do I choose? I want to depart. I want to stay. I need to remain. How do I keep the right focus in that? Now, one of the things that I, that I have felt that Paul's motivation to go to heaven was not just to check out. I mean, that typically for me, when I want to go to heaven, it's not because I'm so in love with Jesus Christ right now and I just, that I just want to be with Him. It's typically when I want to go to heaven is I'm just tired of all this stuff. So I'm not, I'm not as spiritual as I'd like to be. I really believe that his motive, his, his motive genuinely, there's a twofold motive that creates attention. He genuinely loves God. And secondly, he really loves these people. Now, does that sound familiar? What are the great commandments? Do you remember when the lawyer asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. He has genuinely, Paul is a spiritually minded man and the spiritual mindedness comes from studying and in the Word and growing and developing as you abide in Christ. A lot of times we want to die or not die or stay here or not stay here because it's, it's pretty carnally motivated. I, I want to stay here because, you know, I like it. I mean, I don't want to leave all this. Or I'm just afraid of dying. And I want to get to heaven because, you know what, up in heaven we just don't have all this junk. Typically, that's, you know, when I'm, when I'm looking at the cemetery and want to go crawl in a hole, it's because I'm just tired. <laughs> I'm just tired. It reminds me of this last week of one of the kings. And I know when you get into your daily Bible reading, you're going through Second Kings. Isn't that exciting? You know, this king after this king, you see, they're all, they all sound, the names all sound the same. But you'll remember one of the kings by the name of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was at the very end or close to the end of the reigning of Judah before the nation fell. And Hezekiah was a very godly, spiritual man. But when he was getting older, the Lord said to him, get your affairs in order. Your time is up and you're going to die. And you may just jot a note in Philippians on the side of this, this passage, uh, 2 Kings 20. And it says that Hezekiah wept bitterly. So, I mean, Hezekiah hears from God, you're going to die. You're going to get to be with the Lord. And 
he weeps bitterly and he pleads and he begs and begs, God, please don't let me die. Please, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. It's not like most of us. And so God extends his life for 15 years. I think, isn't God good? Isn't God good? Even though Hezekiah's not being real spiritual about the matter, and we're going to find out his prayer was incredibly selfishly motivated. He wasn't longing to be with God, and he wasn't caring about all the people that were under his leadership. Do you want God to answer all your prayers? Would you like it if God answered all your prayers? You think about that for a minute. Would you like your kids to get all everything they want? I don't think so. I don't think so. You know how Jesus prayed? He said, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. In other words, Lord, and this is how I think that we, we as Christians pray, is you pray and you ask God for that. I think it's, it's fair to ask God for what is on your heart. But recognize that he knows really what's best for you. And so to end every prayer with, Lord, but I want what you believe is best for me, and I trust that. Because you would think that Hezekiah, yes, 15 more years. 15 more years. Two things happened in the next 15 years. You know what happened? He had another son, and his name was Manasseh. And if you read through the story of the kings, Manasseh was the most wicked king in all of the Bible. He led the entire nation away from God. It was horrible. And that happened in that extended period. The second thing that happened is Hezekiah showed off all of his riches to the Babylonians. You ever hear of them? He showed off the riches, all the storehouses. So in time, those two things that happened, one, Manasseh leads the entire nation away from God. At the same time, the Babylonians come in and completely destroy Jerusalem. So his prayer for extended life was carnally motivated. Not so with David. Or with Paul. Paul was committed to long for God, for heaven, and the other tension was to stay to help people grow. And what did he want to see happen? He wanted them to grow and advance in their faith. If you'll look here at the last part of, well, verse 25 says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy. I'm, I want to continue here. I really want to go to heaven. That's better. The tension is I want to be here for your progress and for your joy. Now, if you underline the word progress, and you may have already underlined in verse 12, the word advance. The word advance and the word progress are the same Greek word. And I don't know if you kept notes or you remember what I said about the word advance. It's a nautical term. Remember that? I said it's a nautical term, a picture of a ship that with the waves beating on the sides and the wind in your face and it's pounding on the deck and casting back and forth. And you advance as a ship will tack into the wind. You turn the sail. And so 
You can move forward in that. And Paul is saying that to, for you and your Christian life and your Christian walk and for your advance, the advance of the gospel and the progress of your life is not going to be easy. Why? Because of, we talked about this groaning world, this old body. But when Paul is coaching you along and setting those sails to tack into the wind, when the waves are pounding on the side, and you see that you're making progress. You're advancing the gospel. You're growing in grace. The result of that is incredible joy. It's, it's unspeakable joy. Because you see that the causes and purposes of Christ are being realized. And this is what Paul has been praying for their growth and for their joy. So at the end, Paul glories in this. The very last verse, he says, So through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. He is wanting to see them boasting, glorying in Christ, talking about Christ, speaking about Christ, thinking about Christ, speaking Christ. And it's because Paul has been like that coach. He's coached them along for their progress. So that being with them, he sees them advance. You know, when I, when I start to, to look at Paul's life, I feel like, you know, I'm so far from there. Because my desire to be in heaven is pretty carnally motivated. I just like to be there. I just like to be done. And my desire to stay here is because I just like it here. And he's calling us to a healthy tension. If I am really walking with him and love him and growing in him, I'm going to, I'm going to start developing a longing, a longing for him and a longing for you. And I want to stay. I want to stay because I want to help you. I want to help you grow. I want to help you advance. I want to help my kids. I want to help my grandkids. I want to help people love God. But I really want to go. And you know, that tension, both of them produce joy. Joy in my longing and expectation here. Joy in my longing and expectation here. Paul did not have an easy life. But he had a life. It was full of joy. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for the power of it, the relevance of it, the encouragement that we receive. And I pray that you would develop in us a healthy tension, the longing to be with you and the longing to to help others. As our heads are bowed, I'd like for us to take some time just to pray personally, quietly, where you are. I don't know what tensions you had this last week. A lot of things can rob you of your joy. You may be like me. Sometimes you just want to go on and be in heaven. Other times you just want to stay here. But the right motive 
the right longing will come as you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I think a lot of us are pretty earthly bound, selfishly motivated. I know I am. Would you pray today that that God would create in you more of a longing to be with Him, to see Him, to be with Him forever? And that God would also create in you a longing for others. While you're here, this work that you're called to do. You notice about Paul's tension, self wasn't involved. It was a tension between being with God and being with others. It wasn't, it wasn't room for himself. I think for many of us, our self gets in the way. So would you pray today, God help me to abide in you, to bear fruit, to joy in that fruit, just as Paul did. Go ahead and take some time of quiet prayer, and we'll close in just a little bit.